Hello and welcome to episode number 267 of the Armin Show podcast. We are in the place and on this episode, we are bringing it back. We have an author, James Nestor, author of Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, breath is something we are using 25,000 times or more a day. It's a very base level activity that we're all performing. It's one of those simple things, such as once I once talked about sand with an author. It's a very basic thing. Breath is the same way. Why did you choose to go into the category of breath when there were many options available? Mm. Yeah, I had never anticipated writing a book about breathing. Um, and it's just something that came about after years and years of research, of talking to people, specifically after meeting free divers who had developed this way to breathe in certain ways to dive to depths far below what any scientist had thought possible to 300, 400, 500 feet on a single breath of air. So I saw what they were able to do with breathing, the way that they were able to actually change the physical structure of their body and do this amazing thing. And I wondered what else breathing could do for us. It seems like such a passive action, but they showed me it really wasn't when we consciously harnessed it we were able to really tap into our full potential. One hefty thing I noticed was that there's a big focus on nose breathing versus mouth breathing. I have always, for the most part, been mouth breathing. And it was very clear some of the benefits of nose breathing when reading through your book. Would you recommend it to the average person to try it in some form? How might they try it? What are a couple of the benefits of that? Yeah, so there's a huge difference between nasal breathing and, and mouth breathing. And this is something that just doesn't seem to be communicated to a lot of people in the modern world nowadays. Even though the ancients had known about this for thousands and thousands of years, there's seven books of the Chinese Tao, and they're all dedicated to all the bad things that are gonna happen to your body if you breathe incorrectly, and all the good things that'll happen if you breathe correctly. So mm -hmm. they said, always, you always, always breathe through the nose, and science has really supported that now. So when you breathe through the, your nose, you're filtering air, you're humidifying air, you're removing pathogens, you're heating it up, you're conditioning it so that you'll, you're young, your lungs are able to to absorb more oxygen more efficiently, be a lot less irritated. So mouth breathing is, is, has been shown to um, be associated with neurological conditions. It's been associated with respiratory conditions. It's just bad across the board. And there's not a lot of controversy about that. That's universally accepted at this time, but still so few people do it. Something like 25 to 50% of the population is, is habitually mouth breathing. And uh, that's bad news. What are some of the biggest challenges to switching from mouth breathing to nasal breathing? Are there any challenges or is it how you were raised? Um, no, I think it's luckily these are breathing is something you do by the power of your own will, right? We, we can't control how our liver functions or our kidneys function, but we can control how we breathe. And when we control how we breathe, we can affect and, and influence all these different functions in our bodies. So if you grew up mouth breathing, um, and I think I did, I see pictures of myself as a kid and I would have my mouth hanging open. Um, you can will yourself to, 
to not mouth breathe. I mean, it's, it's really that easy. And, and by nasal breathing, you're going to be getting so many benefits, I mean, innumerable benefits. And there's no, again, not a lot of controversy about that. Everyone that's, that's universally accepted, but there's just not a lot of science into it as, as well. And that's what I try to go into in this book is really explore the science. of it. Now you looked into the history of breathing. How did you find out the ways that people were breathing thousands of years ago or what showed what they did at that time that we can use now? Sure. Um, well, I think that we don't know exactly how people were breathing thousands of years ago, but we, we can look at the ancient text in which they prescribe different breathing methods for, for different conditions. If you're sick, you're going to breathe this way. If you want more uh, athletic performance, you're going to breathe this way. If you want to go to sleep, breathe this way. And that's what I thought was so interesting is so many of these methods, which had been developed over hundreds and hundreds of years, they were doing maybe not scientific studies, but empirical studies of what seemed to be affecting one group of people if they breathe this way and what seemed to be affecting another group if they breathed another way. And, and that's important. And now we have instruments to measure all this stuff. And luckily nowadays, in, in very modern times, you can buy this stuff for pretty cheap off of eBay or, or Amazon or wherever you want to buy it and see the effect that breathing has on your own body. Hmm. Right. As far as the physiological differences, what are the ones that arise based on if someone is completely mouth breathing versus nasally breathing? Well, I think that first of all, as, as a kid, if you spend your, your youth breathing from your mouth, your face is going to grow differently. We know this. It's, so, it's common enough that it's called adenoid face, and that is caused by irritation or inflammation of the adenoids or tonsils, which block the nasal apertures, so force people to breathe through their mouth. So your face is going to grow longer. It's going to grow back. You're going to have this retronathic face. It's going to be growing backwards like this. And it's going to be harder and harder to breathe through your nose. So the nose is, is just like any other muscle in the body. It's a user to lose it organ. And, and so the less you use it, the more it's going to close up. So, so there's the physical damage that you can um, uh, be susceptible to. But there's also other damage. Um, respiratory problems, asthmatics, people with anxiety. These are, these are populations that, that breathe through their mouths much more often than other populations that don't have those conditions. So mm -hmm. if you remove that mouth breathing and, and get people to breathe through their nose, people have marked some really significant changes. And I think that's what's important to know is you don't necessarily always need to go into surgery to, to fix yourself. You can, our bodies have these amazing mechanisms to heal themselves and, and we just need to know how to do it. Uh, I, I just thought it was normal to go to sleep with a huge glass of water, drink from it all night, wake up with a dry mouth. Um, and I thought, how, how can you close your mouth at night? You don't have any control over it. There are some methods of like using a chin strap or whatever, I wasn't so into that. So I talked to a number of doctors, uh, the uh, doctor of speech language pathology at Stanford and also Dr. Mark Berhenny, and they both prescribed sleep tape. All this is is a teeny piece of, I actually have some right here. Mm -hmm. I was just talking to somebody about this. So it's a teeny piece of, uh, of surgical tape, micropore tape. You wanna find the stuff that's good for sensitive skin. And you just take a teeny piece of it off about the size of a stamp and I remove a little bit of the adhesive 
and you place it on your lips. So the point is, you can see I can still talk, I can still breathe from my mouth if I want. The point is just to train your mouth shut. You don't need to hermetically seal it. You see this crap on YouTube, these guys with like duct tape on it. No, no, you don't need any of that. Um, all you need is a little piece just to remind yourself throughout the night. And just by using this, um, I've had, uh, I wake up feeling significantly different. And, um, you know, subjective markers are important, but what's more important is, is sleep quality and, and the data you get from different devices, all of which have shown that my sleep is definitely improved. And I don't wake up, I'm not thirsty, I don't have a dry mouth. Um, and what I love about this is it's not asking people too much, right? It's not like an app. It's basically free. This role, this one's almost gone. I think I bought it five months ago, you know, so probably a quarter of one cent every night to do this. And what I also find is so interesting about it is it's supported by people, clinicians who have been in this field for decades and have seen real transformations happen just by closing your night, your mouth at, at night and breathing through the nose. That is a very uh, substantial fix from a very cheap product. That's a nice deal. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's the thing. It's like a lot of people aren't talking about this because there's no way to make money on this. You know, dif different manufacturers have tried to do different electronic versions and all this saying that mouth taping is not safe uh, because if you vomit... Uh, your vomit may get stuck in it. That someone actually wrote that in a newspaper. It's just so absolutely clueless. Um, you know, you're not duct taping your your mouth closed. Your that tape can come off at any time with your tongue. And I think that that's the important message here. Don't go on YouTube. Don't look at these bozos using twelve different strips of tape. Just use a teeny piece of very loose tape, and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. It's more of just a reminder. Yeah. Now, in relation to the effects of it, one of them, the nose filters out so much, is the mouth useless as a filter? What's the difference as far as that? The mouth's not a very good filter, and we've, we've known that for a long time. Inside of the nose, you've got cilia, which are these teeny hairs that can glom onto particulates. Uh, you're also producing a lot more nitric oxide, which is this wonderful molecule that fights off pathogens, viruses, bacteria. It uh, causes vasodilation, so it increases oxygenation throughout your body. It's six times more nitric oxide through your nose than through your mouth. So, you know, we have a mouth for a reason. We can breathe through it for a reason. If we need to, if there's an emergency, we can breathe through our mouth, that's great. But um, we should not be breathing through our mouths all the time. And, you know, again, this goes back in ancient history. These people knew this. They repeated this over and over and over. Even in the uh, early 1900s, there were scientists saying the same exact thing. Do not breathe through your mouth. It's, it's going to increase your chances of getting tuberculosis, pneumonia. And, um, again, it's such a simple thing I think a lot of people have just forgotten about. When I was reading that, I thought that was interesting that it increases the oxygen intake. That's yeah. such a difference. That's the whole point of breathing in the first place. Yeah, you want to, um, you know, it's, it's the vacuum. People are like, well, I feel that pressure breathing through my nose. That's exactly the point. You have more of that vacuum, more of that pressure. It's going to push the, push the soft tissues uh, in the back of your throat back more, which is why so many people who are habitual snorers, 
that close their mouth with sleep tape at night, they no longer snore because you've got that pressure pushing those tissues back. And after a while, those tissues get, get trained to be back. So your airway opens and you're gonna get about 20% more oxygen per breath breathing, breathing through the nose. So you will be able to breathe less to get more, which is what it's all about. Breathing's about efficiency. You do this 20,000, 25,000 times a day. You wanna do it efficiently or it's gonna wear you down. How long might it take someone to transition from mouth to nasal breathing? Uh, it depends. Everyone's different. You know, the first few days I did it, it was awful. <clears throat> I, I lost about five to 10 minutes, ripped it off. And I lasted about an hour. I lost about two hours and I slept through the night. And now I've been doing this for about two years and, and I can't imagine sleeping without it. I mean, uh, I tried for a few times and said, Oh, I'm, I'm probably, trained enough not to use this anymore then i'd go to sleep and my mouth would just open up so uh, i just don't have the jaw structure um to keep my mouth shut i've been too messed up since i was a kid so um you know and i'm fine with that uh, i'm fine knowing that there's a solution here and, and again don't take my word for it you know i'm a journalist i went out into this world i i try to be completely objective. I talk to everybody, no slant. There's no benefit for me saying mouth taping works over it not working. I have probably a more interesting story to say these kooks telling you to tape their mouths should be put in prison. I get a lot more attention, but uh, that's not the case. Um, we've done this, the studies, we've done that there's data there and it's irrefutable at this time. And it's so simple. It's not asking people to do much. That's true. There are attention grabbing methods out there that are maybe not the most valuable, but they really grab. Now one related to that, but not really, but the shortness, I noticed the title of the book is one word. And uh, similarly, a past book of yours was just one word. Was it about distilling it down for a simple message that people could take in? Yeah. Well, the grand plan is at the end of my life, those single words were all amount to one very long sentence that's going to answer everyone's question to everything in life. But unfortunately, I have to wait, you know, how long am I going to live? 30, 40 more years to, to get to that. So keep tuned, everyone. You want to collect those books. You want to put them right in shape. So the next books are going to have to have, you know, particles in it, uh, the or, or verbs, adjectives. So it's all coming up. Um, but to answer your question, it's totally unintentional. And this was not the title that I submitted to the publisher. So after a lot of back and forth, a lot of semi-arguments, we settled on this. Um, so it was not, and, and it just, and people have been giving me a lot of grief over this saying deep breath. Oh, I get it. What's the next, you know, very deep breath or long deep breath. Who knows? So it's coincidental, but but I'm just going to take that and run with it now. That's pretty cool. I was thinking about that, if they would make the words of something that would connect. You know, that's funny. One thing I also think about is uh, timing. So is there a reason why this book at this time versus an earlier time or maybe in the future? Is there a specific attachment to this moment? Yeah. And this is another thing people mentioned to me. Um, they're like, oh, very convenient. You so happen to release your book. At This thing has been in catalog. So the way publishing works at the snail's pace, you submit your book a year before it comes out, right? 
And then it's printed in catalogs about six or seven months. Then that goes to bookstores and other sellers. So it's been in catalogs for, for that long. And I started this book, first got the contract in 2016 um, and didn't really get started on it until the end of 2017 because I had other stuff going on. Um, so I'd been working on it for, for a long time and by complete and utter coincidence, the book was completely done, slated for publication in May. And, and we even had the, the copies in, in March when, when COVID happened. So there was no speeding the book up to, to publishing or any of that. It just came out right at a point, which is still so serendipitous and surreal to me, where people stopped ignoring breathing and really started paying attention to the importance of it. And what was so funny to me is so many of the scientists and doctors I talked to were saying, why don't people pay attention to this? It's so essential to how your body operates every day, your mental health, your physical health, how you look. No one's listening. I've been studying this stuff for 30 years. No one's listening. Well, I think now they're listening, and I think that that's the way our culture works, is people glom on to stuff when they have to, and now you have to have, you don't have to, but you really should have healthy breathing habits. Um, it's a wonderful way of helping to prevent the onset of severe symptoms of COVID and so many other problems, and now people are starting to get that message. This is a wonderful thing. Now... In a couple of weeks, actually, I'll be speaking with a doctor in New York that's treating COVID patients, and I'm going to have to let them know that even though you, you didn't mention it, somehow you predicted this multiple years ago that the breathing would happen through masks. And Well, I, he'll probably mention, you know, that little molecule I, I mentioned called nitric oxide. Guess how they're treating, they're, they're doing studies right now. Guess how they're treating patients with severe COVID right now. They're giving them nitric oxide. Oh. So, so because it opens up their lungs and increases oxygenation, we make our own nitric oxide right here. And if we hum, we can increase our nitric oxide in our paranasal sinuses by 15-fold. So humming for 5-10 minutes in the morning, humming 5-10 minutes at night will vastly increase your nitric oxide. Um, and I think you should ask him about nitric oxide and if he's been doing any work with that nitric oxide in that discussion that's interesting more oxygen it's very eye-opening you know also you mentioned in the book about the left nostril and the right nostril and their connection to the that i never would have thought of that that the right nostril is connected to the left side and the prefrontal cortex and the right uh, the left is connected to the right side the more creative and is that how, how would we have found that out and can you tell us more about that People have found it out by, by studying it, you know, in, in labs. Um, this was also a, a belief in yoga systems for the past thousand years, long, longer than that, of how the different nostrils are correlated with, with different functions in the body. And they've since tested this, dozens of studies at, at real labs, real scientists doing this. A lot of people think this is, oh, these aren't real people. These aren't, these are, these are doctors testing this stuff. And so they found there's a very strong correlation between the right nostril and sympathetic activity, sympathetic nervous, that's the fight or flight mm -hmm. um, activity in the nervous system and left nostril with, with parasympathetic, with calming. So, and calming, creative and fight or flight and active, logical. 
Um, and that's one of the reasons, it could be one of the reasons that researchers believe our noses open and close throughout the day. Our nostrils will open and close. So the right will open during some times and then it will close and the left one will open. And it will do this back and forth, not in a, in a pattern, not like every hour, just from every 30 minutes to three or four hours, it's gonna do this. Um, and some people believe that that's a way the body can maintain balance, right? If you're a little sleepy, this one might open. If you're a little too anxious, maybe this one opens. And we can hack this, of course. You're very anxious, plug one, breathe through the other one. They've found that, that heart rate is gonna increase, sympathetic activity is gonna increase, heat is gonna increase breathing through the right. The opposite happens on the left. And the fact that our, our bodies do this naturally open up one nostril and the other, I just think is so cool and so interesting. And this is an area that I would love to see more, more science and more research done, but there's just no money for, for stuff like this anymore. You know, I like to see the material behind the scenes too. It's slightly tangential, but related, like for example, today there was an article about psychedelics and how they um, produce more glutamate, which, uh, cuts off the memories to the past which connects when people are saying like i feel unity it takes away your past so your ego is gone i like to hear the actual like biochemical reasons underneath what people have mentioned for many years it's always more uh, i'm more able to connect with it when it's like that and that's that's what i tried to do with the book i didn't want to write about my own personal subjective experience here too much i did that on occasion just to anchor people to, to the story and to, to hold their hand through these re really weird worlds and this weird history. But ultimately, I wanted the book to be about when people read it, they can feel this stuff and recognize this stuff within their own bodies, which is why I really try to double down with science here and understand why pranayama, why vigorous breathing activities and techniques have such a profound effect on people. It's not a placebo effect. People are like, Oh, you know, it's just a placebo effect. It's very powerful. That, that's what it's, it's, it's not. When, when you have such a powerful physiological reaction that is measured, that is measured by equipment, it's not a placebo effect. I think these scientists and researchers doing this know the difference between the two. When you talk about Swami Rama, who's able to increase his heart rate to 300 beats per minute by breathing and focusing by increase the heat from one part of the hand to the other. So one part goes gray and the other goes red. Uh, this was all done at a scientific laboratory. You know, that's not a placebo effect. And, and just to see that harnessing the breath and learning about it and understanding how it affects you to me was much more interesting than just the how. There's dozens of books on how to breathe properly. And I've, I've read them all but very few of those are looking into the biochemistry, physiology of how all these different functions are, are affected by the ways in which we breathe. I like that you brought that part up because most of my favorite material that I've read, it has both. If it's just the how, there's a lot of how. I looked at that, like, for example, let's say Ramadan and intermittent fasting, there's benefits to that. But if you asked most of the people taking part, they're taking part because it's just a thing that's set up. But underneath it, maybe it creates certain types of cells or you know, your body has a response to it that kicks into higher gear. To me, that's the part that I identify with and it's like motivating. Well, what, what's interesting, and it works both ways, right? Um, so we know intermittent fasting has so many benefits. We, we know that it's good for, for 
cell growth. It's good for cleaning the body out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been well studied. What I think is so interesting is finding how these practices have been repeated in different cultures at different times over thousands of years. I think there's a reason intermittent fasting has, has been part of Islam. And there's a reason it was part of Christianity. And there's a reason it's part of Buddhism. And there's a reason it's part of Hinduism. And I mean, on and on and on. Um, because it was, it was having a benefit for these people. And so just to apply new scientific measurement to what we as a culture have known for so long, I think is, is fascinating that those two things working together, you know, the, looking at the past as a prologue for where we can go. Mm-hmm. I very much like that, finding analogs. Once you see something multiple times, there's a reason it keeps showing up sure. as accurate conveniently in multiple different places unrelated yes it's sort of like in a freeway when there's like a jam there's always a jam at that exact same spot or there's a certain spot where people get a little bit more tense and cut each other off every day repeatedly well being in la you know that you know that well right (laughs) it's true it's reduced right now um, based on the pandemic that was predicted by james nestor i'm kidding i'm joking i'm kidding around that's funny bill gates you can't give him credit for that one right he was the most clear uh, sound on that one. Uh, speaking of that one, I like to always include the moment. Um, how have you felt during this moment? Has it uh, changed a lot? Is it manageable? How do you think people will come out of it also? I think if there's any silver lining to this awfulness, it's that people will become more aware of the importance of, of their health, especially of their breathing, other factors what's important in life you know i think things were getting pretty crazy before the pandemic um at least i was just like constantly on the go all the time stressed out never at home everyone i knew um you know especially for for city dwellers constantly grinding away it was just getting a little too much so if this is a big reset button for our culture i think that that's that's a good thing. It's awful. It has to happen in this way. But I would like to hope that we can learn from this and, and progress from this in a healthier manner for both our own species and for the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, on that point, it's nice because sometimes we don't extrapolate our own feeling to society and realize that maybe that's shared. So I was noticing sort of like a bubbling speed effect this last couple of years that was... and same as you're describing, same clearly a lot of people were feeling it, but I didn't really hear it mentioned that much in direct terms because I think everybody yeah. was saying, well, it's happening. I guess I better go with it until suddenly it's has to be sliced off in some form. Yeah. We have these uh, punctuated equilibrium points. That's a recent thing I discussed. One thing I always like to, well, two things I want to check. One is, uh, do you have any specific scientists or authors that you have identified with over the years or who have inspired you in some way? Uh, too many. I mean, in the back of the book, I think about 20 different doctors. And with, without these people doing this cutting edge research and, and braving the storm of criticism for 30 years only to find out what they've been talking about for so long is actually true. I mean, I would have no nothing to write about, nothing interesting to write about. So as a journalist, I have this wonderful privilege to, to go in and talk to these people and learn about what they've done and then put this story together. 
So specific books, you know, I've read too many of them. When you're working on a book, you're only reading books in, in that line of research. I never read for pleasure. People are always asking me, oh, you know, what, what fiction book have you read recently? I don't have time to do that. You're just consumed by it. But um, if you want to learn more about the importance of breathing, especially breathing in sleep, I think Stephen Park's book um, is great. Uh, and I also think uh, Mark Berheny, his book, The Eight-Hour Sleep Paradox, is very interesting. Um, these are specifically tied to breathing. Beyond that, um, what's his name? Carlo Rovelli, his book on, on physics and, and quantum mechanics, The seven, seven Brief Lessons in Physics, is beautiful because it's so simple in a, in a poetic way. And that's what I like to read. I, all day I have to read studies and complicated, poorly written crap. And so, uh, you know, if at any time I have the privilege to read something where someone's focused more on the art of writing and less, less on the numbers, I really glom onto it. So <laughs> luckily my schedule has, at least with research, has lightened up a bit. So um, I'm able to, to read just for pleasure a little bit now. One thing I always like to check at the end is, what is one message you would want to tell all people about your content and or breathing that they could take with them or that you would want them to know? It's one message and four tangents. I realize I'm cheating here. This is great. So breathe, okay? Breathe through your nose. Breathe slowly. The big exhale. And breathe less than you think you should. That's how I set up these chapters at the beginning of the book because that's really the foundation. And so many of us are not breathing this way. We think that by <sighs> breathing, we're getting more oxygen to our tissues and muscles and organs. You're not. You're getting less oxygen breathing over breathing that way. And this is such a contrarian concept. People have a hard time believing it. And the last thing I'll say, if you're really interested in breathing, just get a pulse oximeter. You can buy these things for 15, 20 bucks on Amazon, eBay, wherever. It'll show you the amount of oxygen in your bloodstream, your, your blood uh, oxygen saturation. So if you're convinced that slow breathing, you're not getting enough oxygen, you can wear one of these. And usually when you have that feeling that you need to breathe more, it's nothing to do with oxygen. It has to do with rising carbon dioxide levels. And having more CO2 is going to allow you to offload that oxygen more easily. So I know you wanted a very short little simple thing there. And instead you got the most complicated thing I could, I could toss out. But... That's how it is sometimes. This is unbelievable, James. Joke. That's pretty good. I would like to thank you for having been on episode 267 of the show. And maybe we'll have you on in the future when you write another one word titled book. Yes. <laughs> Coming soon. Don't forget the semicolons that'll be in that big long sentence too. I'll be able to do that forever. <laughs> connections and connections. That's cool. Thank you very much for having me. You know it. And we are out. <laughs>